Okay. Well, you're welcoming actually two Toms this morning. Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin are less than 10 seconds into their journey across Middle Earth before they find themselves in trouble. They've settled down for a nap on the river Withy Windle, near Old Man Willow, who turns out to be kind of a nefarious tree. As they're drifting off, (laughs) he's like the most curmudgeonly tree ever, cracks open in the sides of Old Man Willow, and he swallows Merry and Pippin. Merry whole, Pippin's legs are sticking out. Sam and Frodo are troubled, and to try to free their friends, the first thing they do is start a fire, which just makes the tree more angry. So when that doesn't work, they run around in despair, calling out for help, which is when we join Tolkien's story. It says, suddenly Frodo stopped. There was an answer, or so he thought, but it seemed to come from behind him, away down the path further back in the forest. He turned round and listened, and soon there could be no doubt someone was singing a song. A deep, glad voice was singing carelessly and happily, but it was singing nonsense. Hey, doll, merry doll, ring-a-ding-a-dillo, ring-a-dong, hop-along, fall-la-la-the-willow, tom-bomb, jolly-tom, tom-bomb-badillo. Half-hopeful, the story goes on, and half-afraid of some new danger, Frodo and Sam now both stood still. Suddenly, out of a long string of nonsense words, or so they seemed, the voice rose up loud and clear and burst into a new song. And so this figure who we meet, who comes to them, turns out to have been just on a journey down the river gathering willows, water lilies, for the love of his life, Goldberry. It says, Frodo and Sam stood as if enchanted. The wind puffed out. The leaves hung silently again on stiff branches. There was another burst of song, and then suddenly, hopping and dancing along the path, there appeared above the reeds an old battered hat with a tall crown and a long blue feather stuck in the band. With another hop and a bound, there came into view a man, or so it seemed. At any rate, he was too large and heavy for a hobbit if not quite tall enough for one of the big people, though he made noise enough for one, stumping along with great yellow boots on his thick legs and charging through grass and rushes like a cow going down to drink. He had a blue coat and a long brown beard. His eyes were blue and bright, and his face was red as a ripe apple, but creased into a hundred wrinkles of laughter. In his hands, he carried on a large leaf, as on a tray, a small pile of white water lilies. Help! cried Frodo and Sam, running towards him with their hands stretched out. And thus we meet what, to me, is one of the most enigmatic, alluring, inspiring figures in all of literature, Tom Bombadillo, from The Fellowship of the Ring, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, I'm aware that as I present this for the launch of a Sunday message that I'm dating myself, Right, I know that you could put on a continuum. So The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, is a pretty iconic set of books written by Tolkien and published in 1954. Some of us might be familiar with them just through the movies, others through having read, some through having read some of the books. I was talking to my youngest son, and he said, and it's always a little bit sheepishly, he said, yeah, I could only read through Tom Bombadil, and then I just stopped. And Bombadil comes early in the stories. I first came along across them on a journey, a, a, a car journey to the great American West. 
my family, we're traveling, we're going to go to the Rocky Mountains, to the Tetons, uh, to Yellowstone, in our Oldsmobile custom cruiser station wagon. This was like a boat on wheels, right? The, um, the minivan of that time, the 1970s. And <laughs> it was before seat belts were thought to be important. <laughs> and so I just cleared space in the tailgate. And all I remember of that trip, whatever beautiful nature we saw, I just for three days read the books in the tailgate from beginning to end, all the way through. Just absorbed them. And one of the central figures in the story is this guy, Tom Bombadil. And he came to me again recently because of a resonance both that I felt with him, oh, I want to be like him, and because he reminded me, in really meaningful ways, of Jesus. So the Fellowship of the Rings, it's... It presents a whole lot of things that Tolkien puts in the book, including various takes on spirituality and religion. It's not straightforwardly allegorical like the Chronicles of Narnia from C.S. Lewis, pretty straightforward uh, metaphorical presentation of Christianity. Fellowship of the Rings is more wide-ranging, but it's infused by Tolkien having been a devout Catholic. So the Christian story is in there in various ways. And the moment for Tom that came to me recently comes when he's been with the hobbits for a few days. So they've settled down, he's fed them, he's really nice, he traipses about, he sings all the time. All speech in the realm of Tom Bombadil gravitates towards song. And he turns out to be ancient, so on a rainy day, he's told them a lot of tales. He was there when the first acorn was planted, and the first dwarf, and the first elf, and all of these things. So he fills them with stories of ancientness. And then he asks them their story. And they reveal to him what they are about, which is that Frodo is carrying the ring of power to Oradruin, Mount Doom, and the land of Mordor, to throw it into the fires and unmake it. Because the ring of the power is trouble. It gives those who bear it pretty cool abilities. Like if you put it on, you turn invisible. You don't really quite turn invisible. You actually enter an alternate spiritual realm, kind of like the upside down in Stranger Things, right? Where you can see beings you couldn't see before. People in the natural world can't see you. But it also has power, deep power to control, to dominate, to consolidate power for the purpose of attaining dominance. So it's very sought after. The trouble is that while you think you wield the ring, it actually comes to wield you. When you put it on, the more you use it, the more it comes to take you over. It has a force of control of asserting dominance, of asserting control. It'll even cause your life to be longer so that you can continue to carry it where it wants to go, which is inexorably towards evil. But you become thin and attenuated, a shadow of yourself. So there's a moment in the story where the hobbits have revealed their errand. And Tolkien writes, Show me the ring, Tom said suddenly in the midst of the story. And Frodo, to his own astonishment, drew out the chain from his pocket and, unfastening the ring, handed it at once to Tom. 
It seemed to grow larger as it lay for a moment on his brown, big brown-skinned hand. Then suddenly he put it to his eye and laughed. For a second the hobbits had a vision, both comical and alarming, of his bright blue eye gleaming through a circle of gold. Then Tom put the ring round the end of his little finger and held it up to the candlelight. For a moment the hobbits noticed nothing strange about this. Then they gasped. There was no sign of Tom disappearing. Tom laughed again, and he spun the ring in the air, and it vanished with a flash. Frodo gave a cry, and Tom leaned forward and handed it back to him with a smile. Frodo looked at it closely and rather suspiciously, like one who has lent a trinket to a juggler. It was the same ring, or looked the same, and weighed the same, for that ring had always seemed to Frodo to weigh strangely heavy in his hand. So Frodo then, to test it out, puts on the ring. He disappears, but... Hey there, cried Tom, glancing towards him with a most seeing look in his shining eyes. Hey, come, Frodo, there. Where be you a-going? Oh, Tom Bombadil's not as blind as that. Yet take off your golden ring. So the magical moment is when Tom is not possessed by the ring, nor is he duped by those who try to wield it. (laughs) And so this... The story came to me in a conversation I was having recently. So I'm nearing 60, right? So maybe it's just a seasonal life thing. I was recounting the time that I have spent in my life being co-opted by or subservient to people, things, systems that have caused me to compromise myself in some way. You know, just do this and you can belong. Just sign here and you can have influence. Just, just, just. And I was just feeling the sort of loss of time and loss of personhood in the amount of myself that I have given in various settings and circumstances where I think I'm getting something that will enhance me, that will empower me, but I'm really giving. I'm really giving of myself. And this moment from Tom Bombadil, it just comes back to me again and again and again because I think Tolkien captures something here of just a person who is completely both unenticed and untaken over by anything. There is a jubilant freedom in Bombadil And it made me think immediately of a moment in the life of Jesus. So this is from Mark chapter 2. One day Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? How he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And I feel like it's the ring. Jesus inhabits the system of law and lawfulness. One of the laws is how to behave on the Sabbath. This is a gift to humankind from God. But it takes us over. 
Those who wield the system are the ones with power. They use it to assert dominance and control. It has a life of its own. It produces a sense of threat. It bends all those who put themselves under it towards his will, towards its will. And Jesus just says no. This was never meant to assert the kind of dominance you're trying to produce through it. This is a gift to us from God. It is mine to do with what I will. Jesus is doing the Bombadil act, playing with it. It belongs to me, not me, to it. And that then becomes a theme, a metaphor for Jesus, for how he navigates the world about wealth. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. When Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. When his family comes to possess him because he's out of his mind, Jesus turns to those in the room and says, the ones here doing the will of God are my family. And then there's a moment, it says, when Jesus realized that the crowd was about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He wants none of that. He will not be possessed by anything, by wealth, by family, by governmental power, by religion, by laws and rules, laws and lawfulness. He will not be taken over. He will not give a piece of himself to that entity, to that enterprise, so that he can have it. That's the temptation of Satan, right? I've got a lot of stuff. I have control and influence and power. I, you know, I make the rules here. I distribute the wealth. Just bow down and worship me and you can have it all. And Jesus says, that is nonsense. I will in no way ever do that. <laughs> My wife and I had the favor of attending a banquet, a fundraising banquet, just the other night for an organization called the Academy. It, its purpose is to support students, black, brown, multiracial students in the Cedar Rapids area, um, advance successfully through junior high and high school. Um, my wife and I were invited to attend, uh, so we were there as a part of the celebration, the fundraising. The woman who founded and runs the organization is Dr. Ruth White. <laughs> she's a force of nature. She's an African-American woman who, who launched this organization decades ago, and she's 80-ish. And so she's inhabited the system of prejudice and injustice. She's seen what it takes to advance and to succeed. And she's at a stage in life, there's something to ancientness. The ancientness of Tom. I'm getting close, you know, close to 60. But Dr. White... 80. It's like, there's nobody she's interested in impressing anymore or selling a little bit of herself so that she can gain influence somewhere. And so when she talks, it's just straightforward and true and unvarnished. 
She just says what she thinks is the case about how you, each one of you, should think, feel, and behave, and how each one of her students should think, feel, and behave. And the problem is that you know she's right, so you both are aware of where you're not measuring up. You feel two things. You feel like, oh, I want to be like what she's saying, and oh, I want to be her. I want to have that power of voice. I want to have that standing within myself where I've not given myself over to anything. I am not possessed, controlled, manipulated, diminished by anyone or anything. And I'm going to help you be the same, <laughs> right? And so listening to her is a form of listening to Tom, is a form of encountering that aspect of Jesus. And it's interesting because for Tom, it cuts both ways. It's not just that he is not possessed. There's a moment where Frodo is alone with Goldberry, and he asks her about Tom. Fair lady, said Frodo again after a while, tell me if my asking does not seem foolish, who is Tom Bombadil? He is said Goldberry, staying her soft, swift movements and smiling. Frodo looked at her questioningly. He is as you have seen him, she said in answer to his look. He is the master of wood, water, and, so and hill. Then all this strange land belongs to him? No, indeed, she answered, and her smile faded. That would indeed be a burden, she added in a low voice as if to herself. The trees and the grasses and all things growing or living in the land belong to each to themselves. Tom Bombadil is the master. No one has ever caught old Tom walking in the forest, wading in the water, leaping on the hilltops under light and shadow. He has no fear. Tom Bombadil is master. So in the same way that he is not possessed, he does not possess anything else. He does not seek to own. He does not seek to dominate. Possession, ownership, domination are not a part of his system nor a part of ours. When you look at the Bible and how it talks about possession, right? Possession by evil spirits, whatever you think is actually going on, is terrifying. It is worse than dying to become taken over, to have your thoughts, feelings, actions, words run by somebody else. And it is the deepest theme of terror across the course of literature and movies. I don't know how many of you saw Get Out. Oh, man. For me, a person becomes hypnotized and loses himself to the sunken in place. And whether that's the form of possession or whether it's by a virus or nanobots or who knows what else, that is not what we are about. <clears throat> when God's Spirit comes to us, it is the opposite of that. When God's Spirit comes onto us, when God's Spirit comes into us, it is not to make us like God, a replica of God. It is not to put God's mind into ours. It is to free us to be who we are. It is to produce liberation. One way of thinking about what's going on in both of these stories, they are journeys 
hero's journeys, but they do not end with empowerment. They do not end with ascendancy. They do not end with taking over. They end with a destroying, a destroying of the ring of power that produces domination. And for Jesus, when he goes to the cross and is killed on the cross, he is revealing and destroying human systems of domination, control, and possession. He is revealing the wrongness and disempowering might triumphing over weakness, the many over the few, the center over the margins. Jesus is saying no to that, no more. And so is it any wonder that they are so opposed? We want to hang on to these ways of producing power and domination. And so when someone seeks to destroy them, whether it's Frodo with the ring or Jesus going to the cross, humankind says, no, (laughs) we need that, we want that, we will not let you put it to death. So, the invitation to you this morning, the invitation that I felt, was to look in my life for these rings of power, What are these things that are so alluring to me? What have I given myself to in a way that I would like to take back? What is calling me to compromise myself for the sake of attaining some sort of influence, some sort of power? If I could be jubilantly free like Tom with the ring, like Jesus with the law, with his family, with wealth, Where would that be? Where in my life would I find resonance with that? So I want to invite us just to take a moment, if that seems appealing to you, just to settle into that. I'm going to pray, bring us into a space of contemplation, and ask Jesus to bring us into his ability to produce this in our lives. So Jesus, I feel stirred by your ability to stay master of yourself and just your complete disengagement with systems of domination, control, ownership. Would you bring to mind for me, for us in the room, what that might look like for each one of us? If there are ways where we feel, oh yes, I still want to be free from this person, this thing, this idea, this commitment that I've made. Just help us to see where this operates in our life, Jesus, and give us vision for doing it differently. Amen.